Uh, if you filled out the actual card, you can drop that off in the baskets on the way out. There will be a welcome team member back there. Um, or you can hit send or submit on the app, whatever that button says, <laughs> um, and it'll get to the right place. So welcome to part two of our sermon series based on the videos of the Bible Project. Um, it's, if you want more information about them, they're at BibleProject.com. Um, it's just an amazing resource uh, where they put together these really great videos. Um, they're so well done. They're actually really funny, <laughs> but they, um, they hold so much truth. And as they present biblical uh, principles and foundational principles, uh, they're just wonderful. So this is a really exciting series series for us. Uh, before I jump into our message today, just want to give a little plug for our beautifully designed and informational uh, postcards. We use these as um, invite cards. Um, it's a great resource to have if you would like to invite friends or family, co-workers to come to one of our services. So we're actually going to be putting these out for all of our sermon series now moving forward. Um, they're available today. We have a couple more sermons, so you can still pick them up. They're out in the Welcome Center on the table um, out in the lobby. Take as many as you'd like. They are free, um, and we'd like to have them sent out uh, to your friends and have them come. So that's a, just a great tool to have. So today, we are going to be talking about the image of God, understanding our authority, and actually doing something with it. So we actually have some sermon notes on our app if you'd like to uh, follow along that way. But just to sort of intro this, I'd just like to share that one of my favorite things to do is that I love looking through old family photographs. The older, the better. Old black and white ones going back for generations. We have boxes and boxes of old photos in our house, um, including old photo albums. Some of you might have some of these yourselves. You know, the ones with those black paper pages, um, the little corner tabs kind of holding the photos in place. They get kind of crumbly as they get old. Um, we have several of those as well. And I just love seeing pictures of like my young grandparents back in the 1920s or pictures of my cute little dad, right? He's 86 years old now, but back in the 1940s, I mean, he looks like he stepped right out of an episode of The Little Rascals. And <laughs> but one of the things that fascinates me the most about looking through these family photos are the family resemblances physical traits that get passed down from generation to generation. And I think one of the reasons I'm so fascinated by this is because this is something that isn't necessarily true for me. You see, a little fun fact about myself is that I'm adopted. I was adopted at six weeks old. Um, I'm Irish, and I was brought into a Dutch family. And while I love my parents fiercely, we don't share any physical traits in common whatsoever. I don't know anything about my background, uh, not much anyway. I don't know my birth parents. This is actually kind of fitting. This week is my birthday, but I don't know who I was born to. <laughs> Thank you. And it's a big one. I'm not going to tell you what one. <laughs> And don't ask my husband either. <laughs> but yeah, there you go. 29. Awesome. I'll take it. <laughs> but I don't know much about my past. I don't know who I look like or who I take after. 
I can't look at a photo of my grandmother and see any feature of myself in her. I can't look at a picture of my wonderful mom and see myself staring back at me. I don't know where my crazy red hair came from, or my green eyes, or my laugh, or my smile. So it truly fascinates me to see these images, family traits, passed down through the generations. And I think this is kind of true for all of us to some extent, that we like to see ourselves in someone else. I mean, think about when a baby is born, right? How many times do you hear, oh, who does he look like, mom or dad, right? Or maybe you've heard something along the lines of like, oh, you're the spitting image of your grandfather, right? We say these things because there's a certain value in that being created and born and sharing in the image of your family. There's a sense of connectedness, of rootedness, of knowing where you come from, that there's value and worth to that. Well, we are far more than our mother's eyes or our father's smiles, right? We are created with a value that goes far deeper than that because we are made in the image of God himself. And now I'm not talking about physical characteristics, right? You do not have God's hair color, you do not have God's nose or his feet, because it doesn't quite work like that. But being created in the image of God means that we share something far greater, a trait that we all have in common, whether natural born or adopted, whether Irish or Dutch or Kenyan or Japanese, God's image embeds in us a particular trait that can change the world. So let's start with a question. Why did God start all of this? Why is talking about his image so important? Why did he create us in the first place? And what does authority have to do with any of it? Okay, that was more than a question. (laughs) That was a few questions. I don't do math. But it does leave us with a bit of a framework for our message today. But before we jump into that, let's watch our video of the image of God. So if you lived in ancient Bible times, odds are you lived under the authority of a king. And many of these kings claimed that they were gods, and they would even call themselves the image of God. Meaning they had authority to tell people what to do, order things to be made. Yeah, they got to define good and evil. And these kings would often make statues of themselves, which in Hebrew were called selim, often translated as idol or image. But for Israel, They didn't view their kings as the god. In fact, they were never supposed to even make images of God. It's exactly right, and that was really unique for that time and culture. This is rooted, first of all, in Israel's belief that you can't reduce the creator god down to any one thing in creation. But there's another reason. People aren't to make images of God because God has already made images of himself. When did he do that? Well, let's go to page one of the Bible. And the first person we meet there is God. He's the one with authority over all creation. He speaks and creation obeys. And he defines what is good and not good. In other words, he alone is king. But then surprisingly, as the pinnacle of all of God's creative work, he makes humans. And he calls all of them the image of God. So he gives all humans the authority to rule. Exactly, that's what he goes on to say. He tells the humans to subdue the earth and to rule it. And so this task that once belonged only to elite kings,
kings is here in the Bible the task of every human being. This was a revolutionary statement in its day because all humans are being called to rule and to participate in the human project. So what does this mean? I mean, how are we all supposed to rule? So the picture we get in Genesis is gardening. Gardening? Yes. So they rule the earth by cultivating it, by harnessing all of the earth's raw potential and then making something more and new out of it. So, growing food for each other. Yes, but that also includes growing families then, which become neighborhoods, and then they create communities where people are going to work and take care of each other and build businesses and cities that will expand to new places and so on. So ruling is really the day-to-day -day acts of our work and creativity. Yes, we take the world somewhere. This is humanity's divine and sacred task. Yeah, and this all sounds really nice, and humans have designed some pretty great things, but just as often we create things that cause a lot of suffering and a lot of injustice, so maybe we shouldn't actually be ruling. Well, yeah, so the Bible addresses this. In Genesis, what happens is that God gives humans a choice about how they're going to rule. So are they going to use their authority for the benefit of others, which is God's definition of good, or are they going to turn away and define good and evil for themselves and use their authority for self-advantage? And in the story, they choose to define good and evil on their own terms. And so this is the Bible's depiction of the human condition. So sometimes we pull off amazingly good stuff, but just as often, despite our best intentions, we act selfishly and we create evil in the world. And so we're stuck as mediocre rulers making a mess of things. But that's not the end of the story. So the Bible goes on and it makes this claim that all of this was resolved when God bound himself to humanity through Jesus. And he showed us what it looks like to truly rule as a human. So what does it look like? Well, Jesus ruled by serving and by seeking the best for others, by putting himself underneath them and loving not just his friends, but also his enemies. And that's not a typical way to rule. And not only that, Jesus confronted the consequences of all the evil and the death that we have created by our messed up ways of ruling. And he takes it. I mean, he lets it kill him. And so when the New Testament writers looked back to Jesus' resurrection, they see a whole new future opening up for all humanity. Jesus is a new way to be human. Yeah, that's why they call Jesus the image of God, or the new human. And not only that, they also believe that Jesus' divine life and power is now available to heal and to transform us to become our life and power. And this sounds really nice, but what does it really look like? So practically, the Apostle Paul said it looks like people being filled by Jesus' own presence and spirit, filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and integrity and gentleness and self-control. He says this is the new humanity that God wants to create in us so that we become people in whom God's image is being restored, people who will move the human project forward. And that's actually how the story of the Bible ends. It's a renewed world where God is on his throne and his servants are all around him, but they're the ones ruling over this new world, taking it into new uncharted territory with Jesus as their healer and their guide. All right, so let me start by stealing a phrase that Pastor Phil says all the time. And if you've been coming to our services, you've probably heard this and you most likely can recite it with me, right? We are created on purpose for a purpose. Good job. <laughs> no, but seriously though, how awesome is that, right? God created us here on this earth for a reason. 
But this morning, we're going to look at it a little differently within our context of being made in the image of God. And we're also going to couple it with a related point, because I'm going to take that little phrase and say it again with a twist. Yes, we are indeed created on purpose for a purpose, and we are also saved on purpose for a purpose. These two points, these two parts of the story go hand in hand. And our message today is kind of like a companion message to last week's sermon on heaven and earth. And you, might, you will be hearing some key connected points because the two really are inseparable. Because understanding who we are, made in God's image, and with the authority that we have, is inherently connected to God's perfect setup of heaven and earth and our part in the greater story. So back to our questions today. What does this mean for us? What is our purpose here on this earth? And why is this so important that God would create us in his image here on this earth and that Jesus himself would come to die to save us for it? Well, the answer takes us all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis, where God's story and our story all started. So our first point today is this. We are created for a purpose. So we'll start by looking at Genesis 2, verse 7, where it says, Then the Lord God took some soil from the ground and formed a man out of it. He breathed life-giving breath into his nostrils, and the man began to live. So what this is saying is that God creates the first man, who in Hebrew is called Adam, now, interestingly, when we see it and we read it in the book of Genesis, we commonly refer to him as Adam. But in Hebrew, this isn't necessarily a specific man's name, but rather it generally means man. And also in this verse is a related Hebrew word for ground or earth, which is Adama. And this is where our story begins. God creates man, Adam, and breathes life into him. And this is so important to note, because when you read about how God created everything else in the creation story, right, the plants and the fish and the bugs and the animals, he simply spoke them into existence. Let there be, and it was so. But here, this is significantly different. God formed man with his own hands and then breathed life into him. And what that means is that with this very breath of life came God's own authority over all creation. And this is what it means to be created in the image of God. Again, not referring to any physical traits, but rather the very breath and life and authority of God himself. Here's a little side note to ponder. In that scripture passage, did you happen to catch exactly how God created man? He didn't create Adam out of the wispy fibers of clouds, right? Like trying to shape a figure out of cotton balls. No, instead, he created man, Adam, out of the earth itself, Adama, 
digging his divine fingers deep into the ground, the very foundation of creation, to intentionally create us here. We were created here on purpose for a purpose. And this is such a big part of our purpose that authority is very intentionally in our DNA right from the start. And what's more, God always intended for us to do something with it. And we read of this very commissioning in Genesis 1, where it says, So God created man in his own image, and God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Here we see that God created man in his image and with his authority. And then he didn't waste any time. He immediately says to Adam, be fruitful, be productive, go out and use this authority I just gave you. You see, God never intended them to just stop there, to stay in their pretty garden for all eternity. Rather, God created them with the intention the purpose of spreading his garden, his kingdom, outward over all the earth. And I love the line in the video that we saw that puts it this way, that in Genesis, we first meet God who has the ultimate authority over all creation. But then, by creating humans in his image, what was once solely attributed to God now fully belongs to us. We were created on purpose for a purpose. And God intentionally embedded his authority in us as his image bearers to walk this out. But here's where the story goes south. Satan snuck into the garden with his lies. And instead of seeing this for the gift that it truly was, Satan convinced them, Adam and Eve, that they could be their own gods, that they could be their own kings, ruling with their own authority, and they fell for it. Adam and Eve forfeited their full, rightful, God-given authority. They literally turned it over to Satan, and they gave Satan permission to set up his kingdom on this earth. And what does that look like? What's the fallout from that? You just have to turn on the news. It's right there. Sickness and death and cancer, hatred, wars, I could go on and on, all because of the fracturing of God's original design and intent for us, his image bearers, here on this earth. But that's not the end of the story. Because when that happened, God wasn't going to stand for that. His plan of redemption, his great salvation plan, immediately kicked in. And we read in Genesis 3.15, and this is the message version, where God says, I am declaring war between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I mean, these are some serious fighting words, but they have to be because everything is at stake now. So do you see what's happening here? Now God is promising Jesus, the perfect king, that Jesus would come to save us, to restore us and our purpose the way God always intended, and to make it right again. 
And that leads us to our second point today. We are not only created for a purpose, but we are saved for a purpose. So before we unpack that this morning, I first want to share kind of a funny personal story of what I used to think salvation meant, what God's great salvation plan was really about. So I grew up in a very strong Christian home. Um, I mentioned earlier, it was a Dutch family. My grandmother on my mom's side, actually they they were an immigrant family. They came over from Holland and uh, settled here in Patterson, uh, not too far from here. And uh, my grandmother had two older sisters. Uh, Their names were Henrietta and Johanna. Um, They never got married. They lived together, literally, until the days that they died. And um, they, their primary mission their, their, in life, their calling in life, was basically to be street evangelists in downtown Patterson. So you can almost imagine these two little Dutch ladies standing on the street corners, passing out tracts, little pamphlets and Bibles, and telling people, anyone who would come by, about Jesus. Well, one of our little, I guess, family traditions, whatever, it was about once a month on a Sunday afternoon after church, we would all go over to their apartment in Patterson for a tea, just to hang out there and visit with them. Now, we kids grow, honestly, just true confessions, we actually hated doing that. Little kids go to their great aunt's apartment, you know, kids don't really want to do that, but we did. So we would go to their place and knock on the door, and my Auntie Etta, Henrietta, the oldest, we called her Auntie Etta, she would open the door. Now, she was great. She was fun. She was vibrant. She, she just had the best personality and a good sense of humor, and she loved us kids. And so she, you know, the door would fly open. Oh, kids, it's so good to see you. So happy. She'd bring us in. Now, she always, always had a giant bowl of cheese doodles waiting for us. Now, that was the incentive to get us there. Now, we love cheese doodles. My mother never had stuff like that in the house. So this was a real highlight for us once a month. So we would go, and uh, she'd get her stuff for us. And then my Aunt Johanna would come. Now, my Aunt Johanna maybe four feet tall at the most. She was tiny, but boy, was she fierce. She would grab you by the hand, and she would say, oh, dear Susan, do you love Jesus? i say, yes, Aunt Johanna. Are you saved? Yes, Aunt Johanna. I'd run in and get my cheese doodles. Well, next month, we'd go. She'd grab me by the hand. Oh, dear Susan, do you love Jesus? Yes, Aunt Johanna. Are you saved? Yes, Aunt Johanna. Month after month, year after year, into my 20s and my adulthood. I think she even did it to my husband when we were starting to date and were engaged. And growing up, I sw- we made fun of that as kids. Now, I mean, kids make fun of everything. But we were like, for goodness sakes, how many times do you have to get saved? Right, but to me, growing up, that was my Sunday school version of why God wanted to save us. It was simply to love Jesus, get saved, and go to heaven someday. Boom. Done. Right? We touched on that, too, a little bit last week in our uh, sermon on heaven and earth. If you remember, that little funny angel that kept flying back and forth, right? We get saved so we can spend an eternity with Jesus someday. Now, that's good news, right? Absolutely. Amen to that. And here's the verse that just sums it up so beautifully, right? It's a verse that has changed countless lives for over 2,000 years from John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. Yes and amen. 
But today we're going to look at this point a little bit differently, not at all detracting from it, but beautifully and powerfully filling it out, looking at it from God's vantage point in the greater story. Because here's the thing. If we only look at being saved according to that Sunday school version, right, from point A of Jesus coming to earth and dying for us, and point B, right, walking through those pearly gates someday down the road, what are we missing in between? What about this? This has meaning. This has purpose because this is our very life here on this earth as God's image bearers. This matters deeply. And I will reiterate that powerful truth that we will spend eternity with Jesus someday. And I say that with a resounding amen. I mean, seriously, I've got some people there that I am desperate to see again. But we have to recognize that God created us in his image for a purpose here that he gave us his authority to be used here on this earth. And because this matters so deeply to God, he then saved us for a purpose right here. In other words, when God promised the coming of Jesus to save us, to restore us, it wasn't so that Jesus would simply give up his life for us just so we could basically get our ticket punched, right, to go to heaven someday down the road. He didn't come just for my Sunday school version of salvation, my understanding of, all right, woo, I'm good to go, I'm all set, right, looking forward to my personalized cloud and my monogrammed heart, you know, down the road, just got to watch myself a little bit in the meantime, hope the good will outweigh the bad. It's on the contrary. Remember, that space between point A and point B, that Jesus came here because this matters to him, and so too it has to matter to us. That Jesus first came to redeem our fractured relationship with our Heavenly Father who loves us so deeply, and then also to restore our authority and to reclaim all that was lost and stolen here. Now, let's put a little flesh on this and do a quick little word exploration for a minute. Now, I was an English major. I'm a writer. I love words. So this is, was an exciting little project for me. But this really is awesome to look at these three words that I just mentioned, plus other similar ones that are mentioned over and over throughout the Bible. Redeem, restore, reclaim, renew, reconcile. All of these words begin with the prefix Re, and that means back, to go back to the original place. It's an undoing of one thing in order to return it to its former state. These are intentional words, and these are all action words, because these are words that tell us that God is on the move. This is God's action plan, his battle plan, to undo what was set in motion here and to take back what was lost and stolen here. Despite what Adam and Eve had done in Genesis, forfeiting the authority that God had given to them, God never abandoned his creation. He never gave up on us because we are a part of his restoring plan 
Jesus came to save us on purpose for a purpose. And amen to that. Albert Walters is a professor of religion at Redeemer University College in Ontario, and he puts all of this so beautifully in his book, Creation Regained. And I quote, God hangs on to his fallen original creation and salvages it. He refuses to abandon the work of his hands. In fact, he sacrifices his own son to save his original project. Humankind, which has botched its original mandate and the whole creation along with it, is given another chance in Christ. We are reinstated as God's managers on earth. The original good creation is to be restored. God created us in his image because he loves us so deeply which is why we are saved on purpose for a purpose, because this right here matters to God. If you think about it, if our purpose was only to focus on getting to heaven someday, why in the world would Satan care so much about our lives here and now? If this was our focus down the road, what would Satan care about taking away our authority, about his dominion on earth instead of God's? What would that even matter? If Satan worked that hard, and he sure does, every single one of us in this room knows that, it shows that it does matter. We matter because we are God's image bearers. We carry his authority and we are a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Oh, he knows God's master plan of restoring. He knows why Jesus came. He knows our part in it and he knows this is God's kingdom, not his. And he knows that when we fully grasp the authority that has been restored to us through Jesus, when we fully grasp that we are here to take God's kingdom back, his power is diminished and his time is done. Amen. So what do we do with all of this? Knowing that we are created in God's very image knowing that this authority once forfeited has been returned to us by Jesus who saved us. Well, it brings us to our final point this morning, and it's in Jesus' own words to us. It's simply this, now go. <laughs> now go. You see, Jesus didn't come to do any of this alone. Oh, he could have for sure. I mean, this is the Son of God we're talking about. But instead, he chose us. God's original image bearers. But not only that, he chose us to release us. And here it is in his own words in Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. He didn't say, here you go, here's your authority back, just hang on to it kids, come on now, and I'll see you at the pearly gates down the road someday, just try to be good in the meantime right? That is not at all what he said. He says to us, here's my authority, and I'm giving it back to you where it rightfully belongs so that you can do something with it. Now get going. We have a kingdom to take back together on this earth together. Sound familiar? We just came full circle. 
This is the reinstating, the restoring of God's original purpose for us in Genesis, now from the mouth of Jesus himself. Do you see, if we only focus on getting to heaven someday, we miss our Genesis purpose here. Be fruitful and productive here. Multiply and spread here. Have dominion and advance God's kingdom here. Jesus says in John 10, verse 10, this is the amplified version, the thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. That life is here because this matters to Jesus. He's saying to us, look, God's genesis designed for you. His purpose for you never stopped because of your sin. In this verse, Jesus is recognizing, yes, what happened in Genesis. That, yes, Satan won that round. He steals and he kills and he destroys and he is very good at his job. But now I am here, says Jesus. I was born here to make it right again. And I died here to save you and to give you what you need to get back on track. So what does this look like in real time? To live this Genesis purpose out in the world around us as God's image bearers as ones who carry and use this authority. Well, theologian N.T. Wright puts it so wonderfully in his book called John for Everyone, where he says that in this moment of new creation, of salvation, the restoring life of God is breathed out through Jesus again, making new people out of the disciples, and I'll add, out of us, and through them, offering this new life to the world. You see, God first breathed that Genesis life into us simply because he loved us and wanted us here. But then, through Jesus, he breathed new life again to save us so that we can go out into the world where he wants us to be to tell our stories, to bring others into encounters with Jesus, to bring them into this new life with him. Our video this morning put it this way, Jesus showed us how to truly rule as humans by serving others, and he saved us to create a new humanity so we can once again claim our authority and rule as God intended This turns our understanding of that Sunday school salvation totally upside down because this is what changes our lives. We are indeed created and saved on purpose for a purpose. And this is for every single one of us here and right now to play a part in God's redemption story to turn this broken world upside down, to do the same things that Jesus did, to restore broken relationships, to extend forgiveness to others, to plant seeds that will last for generations, 
to bring people into life-changing encounters with Jesus. And yes, my friends, to even do the crazy things, to go out and heal the sick, to cast out demons, to raise the dead, to do even greater things. Do you see? This is our true authoritative purpose, to restore God's kingdom here. And this is a phenomenal word for us today. And I do believe we are being given an invitation right now from Jesus, an invitation to take these words to heart and to walk them out into the world with the authority given to us by God and restored to us by Jesus. We are being invited to embrace a new season of boldness in our faith and in our church right now. Let's not hold back any longer. Let's commit today to being all in. We are being invited. Amen. We are being invited to make an impact in the lives of friends and families. God has given you a story to tell. He's given me a story to tell. And through our stories, others will get to know Jesus. We are being invited to pour into our kids and our teens like never before. Guys, this is the next generation of leaders and kingdom movers. And my gosh, there is so much on the line. And we can accept this invitation by being part of our kids' church or youth ministry right now and playing a part in what God is doing in their lives as they step into their authority and take up their part in God's advancing kingdom. We are being invited to partner with the Holy Spirit in supernatural ways, to use our authority and do the works of Jesus today, all of us, because as we say here in the vineyard, everyone gets to play, bringing healing and deliverance and encounters to those who desperately need Jesus. Jesus himself says point blank, again in Matthew 28, 19, this is a different version, but it's a good one. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you, And I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. This is why Pastor Phil and I, along with my husband, Don, and Patricia Ashby, are leading our new class called Doing the Stuff, to be able to teach and equip and empower you to do this in the authority that you have in Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, I love this class. Any people in the class, it is so much fun. In fact, I just talked about this Tuesday about authority, so you're kind of getting a double dose here this morning, but it's so good to hear and so vitally important. And we get the chance to do this together in real time, to learn what it means to be created in God's image and to be bold and obedient and use this authority. Accept the invitation. It is right here. I could go on and on, and I'm getting, yeah, excited about it, but I think you get the idea. God created us in his image for such an extraordinary purpose that is so much greater than ourselves. He embedded his authority right into our very beings. 
He gave us his son, Jesus, to save us, to restore us, and to release us to be a part of God's advancing kingdom right where we are because it all comes down to life, the true life that God created in us and for us, the true life that God restored to us through Jesus, and the true life that God wants us to give to others. This is why we are here. This is God's amazing story of which we are a part, and it is the greatest story of our lives. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Oh, God, our Father, thank you for your presence with us this morning, reminding us of who you are and of who we are, that we are your children, that we are your image bearers, we are part of your family, and you made us because you love us. Help us to live in the full knowledge of this, Lord, that we carry the authority of Jesus into the world around us to bring your light into the darkness, to bring life and hope to everyone we meet. We are your children, the work of your hands, and we are called according to your purpose for us. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. And may we always surrender ourselves wholly and completely to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you for coming this morning. Have a wonderful week. God bless you. If anyone needs prayer, we're going to have prayer ministers up at the front. We would love to pray for you for a little bit. Um, Have a great week ahead.